Jess Pettit, today's guest, is a popular speaker on diversity and inclusion. She is the author of Good Enough Now. She uses humor to help companies and organizations develop actionable strategies for becoming more inclusive. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Jess, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am so incredibly excited to have this conversation with you. I can't wait, and it's lovely to be back in your presence. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Jess, I, I want to just, for the sake of context, let's go back and, and have you just recap a little bit of your career as a uh, stand-up comedian at the same time you were working uh, a day job in diversity, equity, inclusion. And tell us how how that started and how you ended up where you are now as a thought leader in DEI. Well, sure. So first off, to work in diversity, you need some kind of outlet. And at the time, I was also a raging alcoholic, and that didn't that wasn't quite enough of an outlet. So the Venn diagram of outlet and alcohol was stand-up comedy. I was living in New York, and I uh, started doing stand-up emceeing shows. I was actually the first out uh, lesbian emcee of a lesbian show in New York, which is very exciting. And it was really kind of a therapeutic way of kind of navigating uh, diversity as an issue. At the time, I was working at New York University. And as I did my work inside of a system, um, being higher education, that system, uh, I realized that there is much more of an opportunity to engage in these conversations in multiple systems. So not just education, but also in different audiences and now primarily work in corporate or association-based work, whether it's keynotes or retainer consulting work, etc. Um, I still use a ton of humor in everything I do. And the last piece about being a thought leader, I don't identify as a thought leader. I identify as someone who makes leaders think. Um, so that's kind of my context and background. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I belong to a... Uh, service organization. I want to leave the, the name out. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, I uh, just recently joined, uh, moved from Utah to Florida. And in my new club, um, I'm finding that uh, there's a different uh, culture, cultural situation around diversity. Um uh, you know, this service organization is not uh, the most inclusive place in the world, though I think it strives to be globally. Uh, it hasn't perfected that art. And a, a lot of the, you know, old clubs uh, still struggle with, with diversity a little bit. Uh, uh, in Utah, we have a, a very white culture, not a lot of, uh, of diversity. Uh, traditionally, it's it's getting more diverse quickly, but most of us were raised uh, without any African American friends, for instance. Uh, and now in Florida, that's different, right? Uh, you know, we've got a very diverse culture here, but I'm finding that my my club still has almost no diversity. 
very few women uh, and no non-white people. And I'm trying to figure out how do we increase diversity here? How do you coach people in a situation like this? Give me some uh, ideas. Well, I think let's stay on theme. We're talking about superpowers for good, right? I think what's interesting Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. diversity means a lot of different things. And uh, one of the tactics that I think is an important thing for uh, a group of leadership or even just the members of a group to go through, I would call it avoiding the easy yes. And so if we look at membership recruitment, but you can also look at programming, vendors, suppliers, marketing, social media, um, even scholarships. I do a lot of work when people uh, offer scholarships of who are the people who typically apply to the scholarship and then who are the people who typically receive or are chosen to win the scholarship. So do a content analysis of the last 10 years that that scholarship has been around. And what's important is in noticing the people who apply may or may not actually be as diverse as intended in the description of the scholarship. So then you might want to update the description or maybe it is, and you get all of the folks that you're looking for. So then you look at the winners and that may or may not actually be as diverse as you were hoping for. So then you can look at the rubric of qualifications or the bias of the process in which the winner is being chosen. A lot of times people get basically like heartburn or agita about the idea that they're not doing something But you know you're not doing something because one of my favorite quotes is Francis Kendall, every system is exquisitely designed to produce the results it gets. So to your professional development club, I would simply ask, where are you recruiting members? And if you make a list of all the places you're recruiting members, those are the easy yeses because that's already occurring. So then what is left in your town? that is not those places that could be places to recruit new members. Um, Often as, and I live, I should say, in a very uh, rural, primarily white community. And what ends up happening is you have folks, well-intentioned white folks generally, who often say like, well, I'm not racist. But just because you haven't had exposure doesn't mean that you're not actually gaining any kind of like subconscious or conscious racism, lateral, internal, external, that's a different workshop. Uh, Yes, you are. Everyone is. I am. Everyone is. So then how are you navigating these kind of false notions that value different people differently, right? Like that's our own responsibility. So then when I get the pushback about go to the not easy yes places for recruitment, or programming, or leadership, or something, well, people say, well, you know, we we invited them. So first off, you're othering the them, whoever the them are. But you're sitting yeah. at your table, you've opened a door, you've invited people to come in, and they're not coming. So that's not working. Try something else. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It, it, it's, uh, what, what great, great counsel. Uh, you mentioned this idea of what I think sometimes is called implicit bias, but it's essentially it's our our subconscious's inability to distinguish between uh, a stereotype and a person, right? 
And uh, we all get tripped up with that. Uh, how do you consciously overcome? What are some of the tips that you teach people to overcome those implicit biases that we all end up with, right? Uh, some of us don't want to admit it, but we have them, right? It's easy Absolutely. to measure. Harvard has a tool, right, to help us measure our implicit bias. But but t tell us a little bit about how we overcome that. Sure. So the Harvard test, in case people are interested, it's free. The uh, implicit bias test, IBT, you can go to the website, Google it, take it yourself if you want. Uh, what I think is a key piece to understand when we start talking about implicit bias is most of us are not 100% conscious of everything about ourselves. Now, I would actually say all of us, but there's usually some listener that's like, wait a minute, so I'm trying to control your inbox. So we are working towards becoming more conscious of what we are currently subconscious of. So this is an ongoing process. So to become more conscious of the subconscious, you have to, one, provide a space to be like, oh, I didn't know that about myself. And then you can decide to keep it, change it, or get rid of it. But until you provide that space, you're not actually engaging in the work of becoming conscious of the subconscious. So what I usually recommend is not eradicating judgments and assumptions. That's people's go-to move. It's usually pretty extreme. It's like eradicating carbs. Your body, your brain needs carbs. So just getting rid of all of them is not uh, necessary. This is not an extreme fitness activity. So what I suggest is recognize that we make judgments and assumptions. And to be honest, we make judgments and assumptions to feel safe and prepared. That doesn't mean that we're correct, which is where stereotypes or mistakes can often be made but you are making them because it makes you feel safe and prepared. So your responsibility is what about the scenario that I have now written in my head through judgments and assumptions is making me feel safe and prepared, even though it is inaccurate. That's like one part of the homework. Most people don't like that part because it's self-reflective and taking responsibility. We'd like external work. So then the external work is to recognize the patterns of those judgments and assumptions and go ahead, print them out, triple spaced, extra wide margins. And then like a draft of a story, you consciously seek edits, which means you have to be curious. You have to be generous. You have to be authentic. You have to be vulnerable, but you're putting your rough draft out for the world's consumption and then listening and asking key questions to elicit changes to your own story. I don't want to do that either. All right, well, you're, you're not working on your implicit bias then. But you can pick either one of those or advanced placement, do both. And that is how you will become more conscious of the subconscious. Yeah, uh, it's, it's great advice because these are such important topics. Uh, Let's go back to a really fundamental principle. Uh, Jess, how do you coach people uh, to want, celebrate, a desire uh, diversity? Because uh, you and I are uh, kind of in the boat where we, where 
we think it's great. And of course, people want to improve diversity and create a more inclusive club, workplace, customer base, right? Because more people is better. But how do you sell that to someone who says, hey, I'm great the way I am? How do you sell focusing on diversity? Yeah. So this is the annoying answer. And that is you can't. Um, I cannot make anybody do anything. The closest I can come to use your language of selling someone is to role model why it's important to me, which means now we're back to that underbelly yucky work again. But it means that I would be forthcoming and transparent with the questions I'm asking myself, the mistakes that I'm making and what I'm learning from those mistakes. And that I am willing to role model that this work is what's important to me because it gives permission for other people who've been longing for the space to be in community around making mistakes, a space to do that. Um, the, I guess the next level would be working with um, you know, leaders, supervisors, managers, things like that is to provide space for failure because it leads to creativity and innovation. Well, most businesses are about profits and efficiency, and so there's no room for failure. So what that means is, is that you're actually stifling the talent of your employees because they become terrified to fail. But your employees are supposed to be innovative and creative and you're not actually encouraging that atmosphere. So how do you do that on an organizational level, on a team level, and then on a personal level, ultimately is the same skill set to your question of how do you convince people that this is work that they need to do? I can't convince anybody to do anything, but I can showcase that it's safe to do this work with me and that I'm expecting it to be safe for me to be doing this work with you. Yeah, it, it, um, it is a real challenge uh, to, uh, and, and I want your advice because I think you thrive on this. I think you really enjoy speaking to audiences of middle-aged white men and convincing them uh, that they can uh, celebrate and achieve and do diversity. And so I really want to sort of, uh, you know, channel that, that positivity that you exude to, to learn more about how we, uh, encourage people to take that walk. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't call me the white guy whisperer for nothing. Right. So that is a hundred percent my comfort zone. And it seems to be the, group of people that most respond to my humor and my style of blending humor with really challenging self-work. And frankly, if it works and they happen to be the most resource privileged group of people on the planet, I'm going to go into that little space. Uh, but I, <laughs> yeah. think, I think that I've never been a white man, um, but I think that it's the first time that they have been invited to an adventure, right? So they're not in charge of the adventure. They're not leading the adventure. 
they're just on the ride. And that invitation seems to be pretty quickly contagious because it provides a space. I'm not going to say it's a safe space or a brave space, but it provides a space for the obligations that specifically white men either are afforded, given, or taken on themselves to kind of get off the white savior horse and do their own work from a place of humility and ego so that they can be responsible for who and how they are. That's very much like the basic core of my work. Yeah. I want to just shift gears quickly uh, as we move on through this conversation, but uh, you're the author of Good Enough Now. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about your book. Sure. So good enough now is doing the best you can with what you've got some of the time because it's better than nothing never. Uh, I came up with this concept largely confronting my own needs for perfection and my own needs of failure or uh, fear of failure uh, to be able to provide a space where sometimes trying is trying, right? Like trying is exhausting. So how does one try to try when I'm already turned off or kind of not excited and I'm kind of backing away from a conversation or a relationship or an opportunity? How do I begin the momentum forward? And I think doing the best you can with what you've got some of the time is a pretty low bar, honestly, Um, but it's an intimidating bar because you kind of have to recognize you don't want to do it and then try and do it anyway, occasionally. Um, But that's also a permission. Um, It also ties back into that invitation to be good enough. Um, A lot of times when people tell me about conversations they need to have, but they're not having, by not having the conversation, you're actually engaging in a lack of a conversation, which is another form of communication. The other person is often aware that you are not talking to them about something. Um, so then you need to write that because it's just getting worse, right? Same thing goes with culture. When we talk about workplace culture, culture happens whether you're paying attention to it or not. It doesn't need its own section in your strategic plan in order to exist. It exists. So you are now catching up to what your customer culture is, what your employee culture is, what your stakeholder culture is, what your community culture is, your organization, your family, your friends. You're catching up to the culture as if you were conscious of it to begin with, which you weren't. And now you're realizing you aren't. But now there is an opportunity to do the best you can with what you got some of the time because that is good enough now. I I love it. I love it. I, I think there's a, yeah, it, it's an important principle, I think, to be able to to do something, right? To take that first step forward because the second step is always a little easier than the first step. We start building the muscle. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so I think that's a, a great framework for thinking about these issues. Jess, you've accomplished a lot, uh, and you are a highly admired person in our speaker community uh, across the country. Um, people love and admire you. Uh, 
people pay you a lot of money for advice. What, what is your superpower? Uh, first thing that came to mind was ruining food. I'm not a cook. Um, that is probably my strongest superpower is, uh, not delivering a very easy recipe. Um, especially if it says like easy or like one pot dinner. Yeah. I will screw that up. That's, that's my biggest superpower, but you probably meant something positive. So, um, I would say, uh, finding a space to equalize the tension in the room um, through humor and burning dinner. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, equalizing the space through through humor. I mean, that is a, a powerful superpower. And uh, I, I, I really uh, covet that. I just will come right out and confess. So I want to talk to you a little bit about about that um first off let's can you think of an example a specific example a time when you used that oh absolutely uh, to good effect sure so i was at a conference in new mexico and um, i was keynoting and prior to me it was an organization that had something to do with education i don't remember the specifics so a young man uh, from the department of education was giving a presentation in the morning, and then there was a woman comedian uh, who was kind of emceeing the day, right? So this man did the presentation about education statistics in New Mexico. Then the MC came up to do kind of an icebreaker and warm up the ballroom. This is pre-COVID when people still sat shoulder to shoulder. And mm -hmm. the MC came up, and her kind of intro comedy skit was basically sexually objectifying the department of education guy who had just done the presentation to the point that she was quoting like divorce rates, gave out her room number, offered him her room key. He is now at the back of the room at the breakfast buffet, beat red, like super embarrassed. This is not good. So I'm yeah. up next as the keynoter. The MC is just going on and on and on. And I'm noticing the electricity in the room. This is super awkward. Um, this was an elected official that everyone in the audience really looked up to and really appreciated all the information. The board of directors are in the room and they are freaking out about the connection between this conference, their work, and the Department of Education, it's not good. I think I've painted the picture. It's not good. Yeah. So my job is not to fix that. I don't know anything about the Department of Education in New Mexico, right? Like, that's not why I'm in the space. But there's no way I was going to let that moment go because of my superpower. So I have a keynote that I need to do and keep the conference on time. It's the opening keynote, but I'm starting off in a place that I have the ability to fix in a sentence, right? So not everybody can do that. So evidently some people can cook. So I'll take this, this skill. So I got on stage and the first thing I said was in light of me too, sexual harassment, a culture that is based on sexualized violence, it is important to name that regardless of the gender of the receiver or the target or the sender, um, that kind of behavior is not appropriate. It's not tolerated. 
And I understand that it might be seen as funny, especially across power dynamics. But that's not really what we're here to talk about today. What we're here to talk about today is how hard it is to be a school teacher, right? So, or something to that effect, right? So it was just a punchline that instantly brought everybody back into the room. It broke the tension. Everyone laughed, including the Department of Ed guy at the back at the potatoes turning red. The MC who didn't realize, like, she just, as a comic, like, you're just starting and you don't know the crowd, right? This isn't a bar. So you're going right. to have yeah. to, like, monitor what you say and what you do. It's a different context. The board relaxed. And then I just went into my keynote. Sure. I didn't know that I was going to do that. I didn't know, and nor have I done it since then. But I have the ability of feeling that tension and like running towards it instead of getting nervous, using only the weapon of equalizing humor. Um, Nobody felt bad and it was fixed in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's that is a a great example. Now, the, the harder thing, I think is to help us understand how we could take steps in that direction. How can we learn to emulate you? Do you have thoughts about how we can learn to be more like Jess Pettit in that regard? (laughs) Based on my employment track record, I don't know that anybody wants to be more like me. Um, (laughs) But what I think is important about the question of kind of emulating is all I'm doing is showcasing what noticing looks like. And Sometimes that's, it's so easy, it's hard, if that makes any sense. But can you just notice a dynamic, right? Like we were talking earlier about the professional organization. So you move from Salt Lake to Florida, you're noticing a dynamic of expectation that you had that isn't present in that organization in your Florida chapter. You're Wonderful question about emulating. Um, First off, I don't think anybody wants to actually have more than one of me. Possibly you should check in with people I had to shelter in place with. But the, the key to noticing, I like that you use that word, is that when you are, you yourself, when you're talking about your professional organization, are beginning to notice your own expectations, your Salt Lake chapter versus your Florida chapter. You had expectations of differences that may or may not be happening. That is a key piece of working towards this work is allowing yourself to notice your own expectations, noticing when they're met and noticing when they are not, so that you can then begin to have conversations about what your expectations were. This is what I mean by kind of role modeling. So then you may be talking to other people who have not made those observations, but now you're leading the conversation and holding the space to have the conversation about the diversity of membership or the diversity of programming or sponsors or what's happening, because it started with your own sense of vulnerability around your own expectations. So then it's not necessarily emulating me. It's allowing people to emulate all of us for taking responsibility of what we do notice about ourselves. That That is, I think that's really important as we think about how to, to you know, see 
Um, do you have any coaching for us? I realize it's a lot to teach someone to be funny, but but to to leverage your uh, humor to solve problems. Any tips for us uh, on that aspect of your superpower? So I get asked all the time, like I'm not funny. How do I become funny? And the truth is, is that no one is born a leader. And I don't actually think someone, this is kind of a bold statement for me to say, but I don't think someone is born funny. I think you are encouraged to be honest. And most truly funny people um, have really dark experiences, um, have experienced a lot of pain and suffering. There's a lot of mental health issues. I've been sober for 18 years. There's a lot of addiction issues. But those dark experiences kind of come together to create a light space. And the freedom to be able to experience humor means that you are welcoming a joke to bomb, right? Even the comedian that I mentioned in New Mexico, to be a truly good comedian, you have to bomb. To be a good speaker, Devin, I'm sure you've never spoken, uh, uh, never bombed when you've spoken, <laughs> but um, that's a joke because yes. you're a really good speaker. So of course you have. And of course there have been moments yeah. that didn't work, <laughs> yeah. um, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's the same thing as having a conversation with a stranger. It's the same conversation, same elements involved in having a conversation that involves humor is, are you willing to fail? And are you willing to notice you failed and then either keep it, edit it, or trash it and then move along? And that freedom creates a lot of space for you to make ironic connections or tell jokes or tell stories that utilize the space between the teller and the listener and the audience. Um, so you, you become funnier because you're more willing to take risks. Yeah, I, you know, that's a, a, a powerful observation. And I'm grateful that you would share that because I, I think we can learn from you to be a bit more bold, uh, see the sensitive situation and do or say something, uh, you know, with a smile to help uh, ameliorate or alleviate the pain that might have been caused. So that's a great, great advice. Thank you. Uh, Jess, awesome. as, as you... Uh, well, I, I, I'm just so grateful that you would take time to do this today. Before we wrap up, would you just take a minute and tell people how they can connect with you, hire you, learn more about your work, get a copy of your book, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. So thank you again for having me. And anyone can go to flamingo.day. It's a fun website, flamingo.day. It links directly to my link tree, all of my social media sites. You can buy my book at any bookstore, ebook, audiobook, paper book, or uh, uh, the Amazon. Jeff Bezos may be going to space again, so might need your money to figure out what to wear to space <laughs> while the rest of the world is experiencing a global pandemic. The, yeah. the trial and tribulations of what to wear to space. Yeah. Um, my website is just Jess Pettit. Or you can go to goodenoughnow.com and it'll redirect because no one can spell my last name. So thank you very much again for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, if there's anything I can ever do 
to support you or anyone listening, I'm always available. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Jess. Jess, we're so grateful for the time you've taken today, for your insights, uh, for the great work you're doing in the world. And I, I really want to wish you every success. Uh, you know, I I want to believe that we're getting better at diversity around the world. I think there's some evidence of that, but uh, we're not there yet. And so what you're doing is incredibly important to me personally. I'm grateful for you leading and thankful for all you've taught me. Wish you every success in continuing your great work. Now, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, Good. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.